Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is UXK. 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 I'm your host, Lee Allen Arredondo. This week, I got to talk with Jamie Levy, a UX pioneer and the author of the book UX Strategy, about moving beyond being a designer or research in UX and leveling up in your career. We talked about the difference between UX strategy as a process or workflow versus UX strategy as a role and what that really takes. Then we talked about digital transformation as the next step in leveling up from UX strategy. And that was really fascinating. Taking the idea and the framework from UX strategy, applying that across a company. I will say there are probably a thousand different definitions of UX strategy out there. If you Google UX strategy, you're going to get many vague and even conflicting definitions. So to set a little context, in case you haven't read Jamie's book, I'll tell you how she defines it. Simply put, UX strategy is the intersection between business strategy and UX design. And a key component here is the early and continuous validation of the value proposition with your customers. It's a high-level plan of how your product or feature is really going to achieve the business goals that you have set out. But there's a whole book you can read about it, written by Jamie Levy, and conveniently linked to in the episode description and show notes. One quick note before we start. If I had to come up with a word to describe this second season of the UX Cake podcast, it's impact. From the topics that we've been covering with our expert guests to the effect that this content has had on many listeners who send us feedback, UX Cake is having a real impact in the UX community by bringing you content that helps you become more effective in your work and career. And you can have a tremendous impact on UX Cake by rating and reviewing the podcast on iTunes. Like Cincy Lee and OneNote, thank you very much for your recent reviews on iTunes by sharing the episode with friends, and by following us on social media. Also, subscribe to our newsletter at uxcake.co so you can get monthly updates and access to bonus content and help us engage with our UX community. Those are some of the small things that you could do that would really have great impact for UX Cake. Okay, let's hear from Jamie Levy. Thank you, Jamie, so much for joining me on UX Cake today. Thank you for having me. It's so nice to meet you, Lee. You as well. One of the problems with talking with someone who is so well-known is you have hundreds of interviews already available with just a click online. So it's tricky to come up with a conversation that you haven't had a hundred times before. I know. I'm, I'm scared now because I have to like come up with smart answers for your audience. <laughs> I'm pretty sure none of these are are super difficult for you, so uh, I think you'll be all right. Uh, But I did want to start, actually, with a distinction that you've made, because I think it's often misunderstood that the UX strategy isn't the same as a designer or researcher being strategic in their work. And I think that's a really good, important distinction, especially for the listeners of this podcast. So tell us a little bit more about that? Well, I mean, truth be told, people interpret terminology different. 
And it's kind of a waste of time to get into a semantical debate about, you know, like the differences between interaction design and user experience design. I get asked that a lot. However, when they're used by people to determine a certain job role, then it does really matter that people know what that job role entails and so forth. And so when I first wrote the book UX Strategy, it was more new then. And at that time, there was, it was only being used by a few people. And so I basically decided, well, this is the best definition, UX Strategy. It's the intersection between UX design and business strategy. And then said, okay, well, how it's different from, let's say, product strategy is that it always involves the user interface or at least some digital interface, whereas product strategy, you could do that for a piece of furniture. They're very similar, but user experience strategy, I thought, was different. And then I also saw it being used and still do very much as our UX strategy is blah, blah, blah. And they're not talking about a value proposition. They're not talking about a specific product or service or platform and what the business model is and the revenue streams and what customer segments they're targeting and all these really important things to me that the user experience designer should be aware of and designed for. They're talking about a process, like a strategic way to tackle the user experience design, let's say, at a large organization. Right. And that North Star of what the vision is going to be, right? That term hopefully has gone away. I, I kind of put the hatchet <laughs> in that one um, because the North Star is out there. <laughs> it's ridiculous at this point to say um, when you're doing strategy that this is our North Star and you're there at the very beginning, let's say you have initial value proposition, but you really haven't done any customer interviews. You really haven't done a competitive research. So how do you know? Because what if you say our North Star is to do Tinder for dogs and then all of a sudden you're making like what you think is the best version of a Tinder for dogs dating app and then you realize there are already 10 swiping dating apps for dogs. So therefore, our North Star needs to be something that we look toward, but that we're open to pivoting in different directions and being agile and having a, an open mindset to experiments and potentially be wrong about what we say is the you know straight line toward that North Star. What I've gotten from a lot of what you have to say is that UX strategy is something that is incorporated throughout the process. It's not something that someone has at one point in time. It's actually something that is going to always be going on. Right. It's very similar, I think, to the build, measure, learn feedback loop from Eric Reese's Lean Startup book. Because to me, that, like, that feedback loop looks like a product strategy feedback loop. You build a little something that uh, that manifests the value proposition of your product, your digital product, let's say, and then you put it out there and it's enough that certain customer segment can get the idea of it without having to imagine too hard. And then you get feedback on it in the form of data and you learn and then you iterate. So I, I think it's for me very similar to that. And 
I guess if, if people are going to talk about UX strategy as a process, because I, I do, I have a Google search saved. So anytime anybody in the whole world says UX strategy, I see it. And I've been watching it uh, for eight years. And so. Well, that's why you're so busy. <laughs> and I'd look at it and I'm always, most of the time I'm just like, oh, boy, this is so ridiculous, but whatever. But basically, I see a lot, a lot of the time it comes back where someone from the VP of UX is saying, our UX strategy in our department is to do this, that, and the other. And so I guess that sentence makes sense, but it's more of a small S in the term UX strategy. When I'm using it, UX strategy, it's the big S because we're really talking about what's the strategy for the user experience. And it's something, going back to what you said earlier, is... You, you start off with validating the initial value prop and, and get to the point of, um, or not even validating, uh, ideally defining it and doing all the research and then rapid prototyping something to get feedback on. And there is design in that prototype, but the design phase really shouldn't happen if we're talking about a serious UX design phase until after there's been validation on the prototype. And then even once the product is released, as you pointed out, the strategy phase should continue. That's a great transition point now, I think, to our topic of moving beyond being a designer, which came from a statement that you made in a presentation recently about digital transformation. I'm not 100% sure that digital transformation per se is is the most important piece here. It's the moving beyond being a designer piece, which was put as a question. Are you ready to move beyond being a product designer? And I think there are many designers and researchers out there who would jump up and say, yes, I'm ready to move beyond. But (laughs) I uh, would like to clarify, what do you mean by moving beyond? Well, the first step is basically having control of your existence particularly in the workflow at where you're working, where you have a say in the product and you're not just handed a requirements deck or some brief or uh, an outline that has a feature list on it and told to basically knock out the site map and the wires or, or whatever deliverables you need to do and just do it on time and on budget. I think while you're learning UX design, it's perfectly okay to be given that and to work on your skills to get really good at interaction design and, and learn all the different disciplines just that are encompassed within the discipline of user experience design. But at a certain point, I think, depending on you know how many projects someone gets under their belt or how many hours they have if they hit their Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours, they're going to get bored. They'll have designed every possible layout for a website or many, many different iPhone apps or or whatever it is. And and they realize, hey, I want to have a seat at the strategies table to lean on a, a cliche. But I think a lot of people do want to be involved in the research. And so I wrote the book for, initially I wrote it for people who were more advanced in user experience design. And then it turned out that my largest audience were people who were newbies or mid-level, that they really wanted to understand how a product got spec'd out before it got to them and that they saw that doing 
a form of validated user research and a form of competitive research to inform the product strategy was really exciting because then you're making something that you said that you actually talked to customers and, and know that they wanted or that you actually saw a gap in the marketplace as opposed to just being told, hey, just make this. I think that people in most cases want to have control of their reality, want to have control of their destiny. And if you're going to be on a three to six months phase of uh, doing product design to be involved and engaged in the strategy phase, I think is important for product designers at a certain point in their career. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you said that about the 10,000 hours, because that was actually my next question, where I have heard you say that UX strategist needs to have 10,000 hours of experience building products under their belt. And I've always agreed with that sentiment. It does seem essential that someone really understands the UX and research and also the business strategy and all the things that we've been doing for over 25 years that it would be very difficult to know after four years of school. But now UX strategy is its own discipline, and we should be happy about that. We, I'm happy. It's taught in schools. Yes. <laughs> you, in fact, teach it. So can someone new to the world, and I know that people do, new to the world of making experiences, come in as a UX strategist? Or do you see this really as an add-on career? I think it'd be like, can somebody come in and be the lead UX designer without having had been a mid-level UX designer? Like, how are they going to direct people to do stuff when they don't know how long it should really take to do it and what goes into it? So even though I don't want to be accused as being ageist or biased because I have years of experience. So I'm going blah, blah, blah. Everyone should have a certain amount of experience. But I do think, you know, that you do need to have a a good sense of what user experience design is to be a good UX strategist. That said, plenty of entrepreneurs and product owners get the book and they realize that there is so much overlap between a UX strategist and a product owner. They're just coming to the product design phase from uh, different optics. One is more focused on making it a good experience for the user, and one is more focused on making sure that the product's going to ultimately make money for the business. And so it's, it's interesting. But in short, I think design, just being a, a really good user experience designer takes time. There's, it, just, it just does, you know, and... There's no way around it and people talking about just jumping into the field without any hands-on or at least a couple of years of hands-on experience and, and think that they're just going to, you know, create uh, deliverables without knowing what it takes. I think that, you know, unless they're like a genius or super lucky that it's just not going to work out so well. <laughs> Well, I think you put it really well, actually, that made sense to me as well, which is using the term UX strategist as more of a leader. That's more of a leadership role. Although as it's developing and organizations and um, businesses are now incorporating a UX strategy throughout the process, there probably is a place for a UX strategist in a junior level, perhaps in that 
kind of a setup. Probably so. Yeah. Because I think, you know, contradicting what I just said, everybody, (laughs) you know, even people that don't do user experience design can have a pretty strong opinion if a product has good user experience design or not. Right. Like my dad can say, you know, this product sucks and this product's great because it's easy to use and he would know. Right. Well, and a lot of user researchers are are excellent at understanding usability and don't design. Exactly. Good point. So I I don't think necessarily being, you know, a sketch rock star is going to guarantee that you're going to be a good strategist any more than having an MBA is going to guarantee that. I think, though, what it takes is having some perspective and looking back and on what has worked and what hasn't worked. So going back to this idea of, you know, our age, we have gone through the dot-com period and saw, you know, what happened in that time and, and how the web was then. And then we went through it, you know, the second wave when it came back. And then all of a sudden mobile and broadband was introduced and that disrupted everything. And now we're at, you know, in, in a new place. And innovation changes so much. And why user experience design continues to be exciting is that because of all these technological innovations, we constantly have to be on our toes if we really want to be doing good design and for the strategy to inform the good design. We need to be aware of like what's happening with machine learning and artificial intelligence and virtual reality and augmented reality and all these different things. And so someone coming in new to the field, how are they going to learn all of that stuff on top of how to use the tools on top of the discipline of, you know, user research or user experience design? It's better to kind of get focused, get really good at one craft and then broaden your skill set as you go. So I feel like if someone wants to be a junior level UX strategist, probably it would be good if they have had an MBA. So at least they were coming in knowing all the business strategy. They were coming in with the business strategy side locked down. And so then they were just doing the intersection of it with user experience design. And then the user experience designer, they're coming in really understanding the user experience design process and what makes good user experience design. And then they're just really trying to learn to be more strategic and what business strategy entails. Yeah, it's funny. Something that you said made me think about a question I I was ruminating in my head earlier today, which is uh, how has UX strategy been changing since it sort of became a thing? However many years ago that was, eight, maybe something like that. And you've always described it very well, which is it's the intersection of business strategy and user experience design. And now we've got this extra layer and always you need to understand the technology that's going to be driving, creating the products. But now we have not just one extra layer, but many, which is the new technologies and emerging technologies. And like you said, machine learning which is a, another sort of deeper piece. So it, it definitely takes a, a lot of understanding to actually, this user strategist is kind of the unicorn, really. <laughs> they have to know all the stuff. Yeah, I think they're the undiscovered unicorn. Or I hope that, perhaps, because I think, I mean, why do so many digital products and services fail? Often they fail because they fail to have product market fit, another cliche now. But 
why does that have to happen? We aren't in the movie industry where we're making a film and everybody has to spend money on pre-production and then they go shoot it and they can't really test market the film until they really have some of it shot or most of it shot and edited it. This is not a film where we actually have the opportunity, especially now, to even knock out MVPs using prototyping with sketch so easily and get validation or even test two or three different versions. So to me, getting back to what you said, how has UX strategy evolved? I can easily answer that because when I first got to do it, first of all, they called it the discovery phase. And the way that we did it didn't involve any sort of value proposition testing. Maybe we would do some user research. Sometimes we would rely on the client to provide us analytics or their marketing data. But often we were doing a really non-empirical or non-systematic form of competitive research. And we were basically saying, okay, here's what it is. Here's our North Star client. You know, or here's our North Star stakeholders. And now, hopefully, in most cases, uh, enterprises and agencies and startups know that you don't need to go, you know, the whole waterfall route of product design and that you can do iterations, you can get feedback sooner. And so to me, the big turning point, and this happened, I had to rethink my entire proposal for the book with O'Reilly because originally it was based on the discovery phase, uh, the traditional discovery phase. And then I read Lean Startup in 2011 or 2012, perhaps, and I realized, oh, God, this is product strategy. This is the way it should be done. This is so obvious. I can't believe I didn't think of it and really started integrating the Lean Startup principles into my methodology, which ultimately became the book. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because when I read your book, one of the first things I thought to myself was, well, excellent book. But at the time, what I thought was, well, this is what I'm doing. So <laughs> how could this be UX strategy? What I didn't understand was that the very important piece, that value proposition and the aligning to business strategy is something that not a lot of UX teams or UX senior designers are have an opportunity to do. And that those are the key pieces right there. It took me a little while to figure out that I Yes, you're right. I am a UX strategist. <laughs> I just didn't, I thought that I needed like some special silver medal or something to, that I could put on to say UX strategist. I could give you a gold star. <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. Or you, I have my UX strategist badge when you take my master class. I'll just give you one for, oh, for nice. having me on, All right. on yeah. this podcast. <laughs> Well, UX strategy, in your talk, you were talking about digital transformation. So to segue into that quickly, UX strategy is kind of an up-leveling of UX design or UX research, but you were talking about digital transformation, and I loved how you described digital transformation as basically, well, I call it an up-leveling of UX strategy, but it's a similar framework, but applied at a much higher level. Uh, it's not just making a product. It's touching the whole company. Do I have that right, actually? You do. You're, you're going in the right direction. So it's talking about 
I call it user experience strategy on acid, right? Because <laughs> it's like, it's taking it up way up a level because you're baking in basically the customer experience. So the user experience design and UX strategy is folded into the customer experience or they're very much interwoven. And then the internal processes of the company. When you're talking about digital transformation, you're talking about people, processes, and technologies. And so just because you come up with a really great, let's say you're a big company, like a sales force, and you basically have this massive platform and you're constantly doing UX strategy, digital strategy, all the different types of strategy for all your different types of customers. And the company that supports it needs to be optimized, right? And so how that is, is that the processes in terms of how people work need to be touched and maybe the job roles need to be transformed. Now, when we're talking about a digital native company, about like Salesforce, that's not the best example of a digital transformation as compared to, let's say, Princess Cruises. That's one of my favorite case studies because... Um, now we're talking about a slow moving ship and <laughs> that went through a digital transformation where they distributed the most important part was they distributed their content that everybody needed, which was the princess patter, which was this like newsletter, um, <laughs> probably on. <laughs> That's a clever name. Right? It was probably on like yellow <laughs> parchment paper. It made it sound so old. In brush script. Yeah, it was really fragile and. Um, but you had to get it every day. Perhaps it was on a scroll and it told you, you know, what time <laughs> ping pong was and when all the different buffets would be served. And then the way that the crew, they had to basically probably work very late into the night or a different group of them would be focused on the mills and the planning of all the events. And it was all very clunky. And basically, let's say if, uh, you made friends on the cruise to know that, hey, let's all meet at this particular um, event or this particular buffet was really hard to coordinate. And when they made, you know, the app that you get when you go on these cruises that basically was dynamic and it was updated constantly and you could share your itinerary with your friends. And then if something was too crowded or if something was empty, the people running it could let everybody know. And so imagine that the people who were working on the ship, their jobs had to change what they did every day. And so the digital transformation really affects the people in terms of, are they going to be threatened when you go to them and say, hey, we're going to have a digital transformation and your job's going to change. Most people who work nine to five are like, F you, I'm not going to do it. I'm happy the way my thing is. I don't want to learn computers, you know, whatever it is. They have to not be put into a threatened position. Instead, they, they have to learn like, well, we need to evolve to stay in business so you have a job for another 10 years and we're going to teach you the skills and make sure that you understand them and how they're going to make everything better for everybody that works here as well as our customers. And so it's really much more complicated than doing user experience strategy. And because now I've done UX strategy for 10 years, I'm looking for the next new thing. And so when I got that digital transformation project a couple of years back, then I had to embark on retraining myself. And, um, and that's when I really realized this is an opportunity for me to 
really change how a company operates. And I got very, very excited about it. That is really exciting. That It also sounds incredibly complex, especially with the whole company culture and people aspect of it. So this is for someone who's maybe 20 years into their career. <laughs> yeah, or, or at least they, they got to have at least, I think, 10. But I don't know. I, I met I don't think he was millennial. I don't, I don't know. I met someone who looked very young who told me he was a, a digital transformation consultant in LA. You know, like I was like, oh, wow, there's two of us. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I'm at a party. Like, that's amazing. You know, in New York or San Francisco, there could be dozens. So um, I think it, it's another new thing that's definitely on the horizon that is particularly interesting to do for brick and mortar companies because they're the ones that need the most change. And so those are the ones that I'm most excited about hopefully working for. Uh, That does sound exciting. It also sounds like it's at a higher level. And does it still feel like you're doing hands-on work? No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like my whole career, I've been doing everything to completely remove myself from the production phase of design. It feels like you are totally upstream with the stakeholders when you're doing digital transformation. Because if you don't have their buy-in, then you've got nothing. This is not going to be like a ground up, you know, takeover of the company. It needs to be both top down and bottom up. But most, if the C-level aren't bought into it, then it's not going to work at all. So I think for people like us who have kind of seen it all and been there and really want to put themselves into a frustrating position where in most cases, <laughs> nothing is going to come of it. Digital transformation <laughs> is the thing to do. <laughs> oh, excellent. I can't wait <laughs> to find that opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Although I'm also excited to hear how that works out for you. I mean, I don't know if you're going to write a book on digital transformation. Next. No, because there's already 20 of them. And uh, <laughs> in my, the, one of my canned one-liners in my keynotes this year was I... I I showed all the books and then I said, well, there were so many books. I decided to just read the ones with blue covers, <laughs> you know, like it's like pick something random, but there were several of them with blue covers that were amazing. And so I saw that there was no need for another book on digital transformation, but there was definitely a need for me to add a new chapter in my second edition, which I'm writing now of UX strategy. And so the the new 12th chapter will be on digital transformation. And I'll basically be explaining it just like how I explained uh, UX strategy in the second chapter, but it'll start with first really explaining customer experience and then strategic design and then digital transformation and then explaining at least a couple of frameworks so people could put it into practice they'd like. Oh, wow. That's exciting. And when is that coming out? The book is coming out, the entire book where you can buy it with, you know, the paper version is coming out in January of 2021. I wanted to give myself a lot of time for this book. So I'm writing basically a chapter a month. And so what I'm doing, I'm now on chapter three. And O'Reilly, if you're a Safari member, then there we're publishing three chapters every three months. So we're putting up chapters one through three on December 1st of this year. And then in 2020, we'll put up another three chapters. And 
yeah, they're kind of raw and unedited, but not quite as raw as my Medium posts talking about the behind the scenes of them. But the idea is that I'm going to be putting it out because of this long, you know, I've said that the book's going to have a 40% update, which is insane for a second edition. So to do that, I need to do new writing and I have new business cases. I'm writing a good third of it while I'm living in Berlin. And one of the business cases is Volkswagen. They're innovation units based in Berlin. So I'm interviewing them a lot. And it's super, super fun this time around to write a book that you know that people <laughs> want versus one that you think, God, am I just writing a book for myself here and the five other people doing it? <laughs> I can only imagine. It's like having a second kid. You can relax the second time knowing that you're not going to kill it. Yeah, probably. It's it's completely different. <laughs> it's so much better. The first time was really bad, and my editor, when I was done, I said I, I learned I will never write another book again. That was a horrible experience, you know, just sitting alone in the library for so long and feeling like it was an egotistical endeavor. And then I was lucky that the book was successful or is successful, and that people have, have uh, adopted it. But you hit the point where you have 20,000 plus readers and you're teaching the book. Now it's going to be at two colleges next semester, two universities, and you find things wrong with it, you know, because, (laughs) you know, I've learned stuff. I've now done hundreds and hundreds of workshops worldwide and asked some hard questions by people in England and Germany and, oh my God, everywhere and realized, oh, I should have touched on this or, oh, this title, this chapter needs to be slightly changed. And you know, oh, the example of Vine doesn't work anymore because Vine doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> and so, of course, I need to update it. And so my editor was right. I, I am doing a second book and I'm trying to make it super fun by writing it uh, in two countries and appealing to a larger audience and also making it more focused on enterprise instead of on startups like the first one. Well, that sounds really exciting for us when we can read it and for you to be able to work on something and the second time around. I know that you are really busy with your writing and your speaking and your work, and yet you take time to share your knowledge with (laughs) the rest of the UX community. And so I really want to thank you for that. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. I was scared, but now I'm no longer scared. (laughs) how can people follow you what's the best way to follow you please follow me at on twitter at jamie r levy or connect with me on linkedin and or where i'm blogging about my uh, book on medium and sharing uh, updates when i updated on twitter and and linkedin and then also on no just those two ones unless my son posts it to instagram (laughs) because he's in charge of my my social media on that But yeah, those two places are are great. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Jamie. Bye, everybody. If you enjoy the UX Cake podcast and you want to help us grow our community, I have three action items for you. First, share this episode with a friend or colleague. There is a share function in every podcast platform, including on our website. You can also share a link to an episode on your work Slack or your social media channel of choice. That gets this content to more people who find it useful. Number two, rate and review the UX Cake podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. This is the social proof that 
potential sponsors and partners we want to work with look to. If you don't have an iPhone, you can still rate and review in iTunes on your computer. Just search for UX Cake in the iTunes store, click on the podcast, and go to the ratings and reviews button. And number three, subscribe to our email list at uxcake.co and to our Twitter or LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook, or all of them if you like. Thanks again for listening and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a bite. UX life is hard. Eat more cake.